The Bible is a book full of unsolved mysteries. Are you looking to finally make sense of it all? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Hippocrates once said, Healing is a matter of time, but is sometimes also a matter of opportunity. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com or Facebook or our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what's the topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, is Christianity a healing religion? Our theme text is found in Luke chapter 6, verse 19. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. Okay, so is Christianity a healing religion? Think about this. The fountain of youth, the cure for cancer, a magic diet pill. We'd all love to have these incredible miracles for whatever ails us. When Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, he was, in a sense, a life-changing elixir, a source of quick fixes as he healed the masses. Who wouldn't have wanted to be near him? For wherever he went, godliness, healing, and wisdom followed. Fast forward those 2,000 years, and even though Jesus is no longer walking the earth as a man, much of Christianity is still claiming and teaching the healing of Jesus. So, should they be? The apostles in the early church were able to heal, so maybe we should ask, why isn't everybody doing it? Has something changed regarding Christian miracles and healing? If so, what? And most importantly, why? Uh, Jonathan, this is one of those subjects that ends up having a lot of controversy around it because there's lots of different Christian perspectives on it, and we're going to go straight straight at it. So, <laughs> All right. Sounds good, Rick. All right. So coming up in today's podcast, was the healing that Jesus did ever dependent upon the faith of those that he healed? And if it was dependent on that, would that have been fair? Who did the apostles heal? Was it more for pagans and unbelievers, or was it more for disciples? And then, folks, we're also going to be touching on in some, some detail, there's a dark side of healing, a very dark side. What is it? How do we recognize it? Further, bottom line, what was the ultimate purpose for healing, and should we be doing it now? And But first, Jonathan, we want to start with, what did most of Jesus' healing miracles look like, and how did they work? So that's where we start. We've got all those points that we want to get into. Very, very, very interesting subject matter today. Jonathan, I want to start, though, with a soundbite. And, and you know, apologize ahead of time, because some of the soundbites we play are going to, all of them today, are going to be offensive to some, I think. And apologize for that. But what we're trying to do is set a guideline for understanding Scripture and being brave enough to stand up against those things that we think are false. This first soundbite is from a gentleman by the name of Darren Brown, who used to be involved in magic and all these kinds of things, which is essentially illusion. 
and his the, the title of this this video is Faith Healers Tricks Exposed. So here's the introduction to that video. Today you are going to witness the miraculous. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, limbs will grow out. These are faith healing miracles, and I'm going to show you how to perform them. Just take these hearing aids out. You foul spirit of deafness, take your hands off this woman in Jesus' name. How do I sound now? Loud. Loud. Here is a popular miracle of making the deaf hear. I'm going to demonstrate this and some other miracles exactly as they might be presented at a faith healing event like the one you can see here. And now you can hear? Yes. The people you see being healed at these events are selected by the faith healers team, the catchers, who bring them up on stage to present them to the healer. Okay, so what he's going to do, and we'll drop in on his explanation throughout the podcast, uh, he's going to be showing you, walking us through step-by-step step, the illusion of healing. And again, uh, you know, many of us look at this and say, you know, the, the, the healing that, that we see in Christian churches is very, very real, and we need to have respect for it. And look, we do need to have respect for other Christians. We absolutely positively do. So... It's out of that perspective that we want to lay out a scriptural reasoning in terms of looking at healing today and how it works and asking the question, should it be working? So, Jonathan, let's start with this. The healing that Jesus did was a gift of grace, and it was also a fulfillment of prophecy. Very, very quick two-liner prophecy from Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name... The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Okay, the Son of Righteousness, healing in its wings. And, and that's a picture of Jesus. Well, Rick, a question. Yes. Was the healing that Jesus did faith healing? And with today's term, what does that really mean? Okay, that's a really important question. Was the healing that Jesus did actually what we would determine to be, quote, faith healing, unquote? And, you know, faith healing, the, the, the term is founded on the principle that if you have faith, you will, you can be made whole. Okay? Okay. So you're a believer. Right. So was the healing of Jesus faith healing? I'm not going to answer that yet. But no, <laughs> I mean, I did answer it. <laughs> and and, and let, let's talk about why. And Jonathan, it's startling when you, you take time and go through some scriptures and when you see the magnitude of the healing that Jesus did. Let's start with, and we're going to drop in on several examples, so we can't go through all of the examples and all of the details because it's just way too much, and it's, really, it's fascinating, but we just want to touch on examples to make the points, try to get the, the high points. The man in the synagogue with the withered hand, remember he was there on the Sabbath? And, oh, yes. Okay, and the Pharisees were there, and, and, you know, and, and the conversation about doing, work, doing good on the Sabbath. Well, they were trying to set a trap, weren't they? Yes, they were. <laughs> and, you know, what else is new, okay? Right. <laughs> so Matthew chapter 12, verses 11 to 15. We're going to take this in, in a couple of pieces. And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable, then, is a man than a sheep? So then... It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Okay, go ahead and keep 13 as well. 
Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. Okay, so Jesus challenges the challenge of the Pharisees. And I can just, in, in my imagination, I see Jesus, I, he, he's standing on one side and you've got this man, this poor man with his withered hand, who that's, it's completely useless, in, next to him. And he's got the Pharisees across the way. And I can see him looking them in the eye. And, I, you know, the scripture doesn't say this, but this is my own imagination. He's looking them in the eye as he says to the man, stretch out your hand. Because he's saying, essentially, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Don't try to tell me what's good or what's not good on the Sabbath. And he heals this man. And so what's the reaction? I mean, you think that this man being made whole in front of them would have been a great thing. Well, what's the reaction? Absolutely. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> but their perspective was this. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him and he healed them all. Okay, now that's an interesting phrase. Many followed him, and he healed them all. So, Jonathan, let me ask you a question that I know you don't know the answer to, but let's just talk about it. It says he healed them all. How many do you think he healed in, the, in this instance? Well, this withered hand example, people went, whoa, um, how about 50? Okay. I don't know. Well, you know, and, and that's probably a, a reasonable number. You know, because he says many followed him. Many would be more than five or ten, I would think. You mm -hmm. know, you know, you get a crowd when you get 20 or 30, and now, you know, and he healed them all. So you've got 50 is, I think, a reasonable number. Okay. okay. Now, th these people were following Jesus. Were, were they following him as disciples? Well, it doesn't say. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it just says many followed. If it was more specific, we could know. But, Rick, who could blame them having any type of malady? If it could be fixed, why not follow Jesus? Right, and that's why they followed him. Because word goes out that this man with the withered hand was healed, and the gut instinct of others is, maybe he can help me. Exactly. Maybe I can be healed. Maybe I can be healed. So these, were not, these are not called disciples, just as many followed him. So that's an interesting thing. But, you know, a lot of people were healed. Let's go on to the next example. Um, after Jesus prayed through the night and chose the 12 apostles, um, we have the next example we're going to drop in on, uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. And we're going to notice, actually, two, maybe three groups present here. So let, let, let's take this, this one in pieces as well, Jonathan. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. And there was a large crowd of his disciples. Okay, let's pause right there. So who's with him? A large crowd of his disciples. Okay, so his disciples means people that are following him. Right. Okay. Who else was there? Well, it continues. And a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Okay, so you've got the second group of people, and who are they? It's a great throng. It's, there's a lot. I mean, what that says to me, Rick, is there's more of a throng than there are of his disciples that were with them. Okay, and that's actually a really good observation. Large crowd of disciples, but a great throng of people, and it gives all Judea and Jerusalem and Tyre and Sidon. So you can, I don't know, we're, we're, we're talking... We're hundreds. Probably. Maybe, maybe more. 
But that's not all that were there. What, what's next in the verse? And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured, and all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. Okay, so... So there were other people besides this throng of people. Others had specific issues, unclean spirits. Okay, and they were being cured. So that, that was another group besides the throng and besides the disciples. It seems to me like there are three groups here, right? Right, right. So you've got the disciples, and it's like they're mentioned... And then they're sort of put aside. And the rest of the verses are focusing on why these other people came. They came to be healed. The disciples came because where Jesus went, they went. Exactly. So this is all focusing on those who came to be healed. So let me ask you the question again. How many? How many do you think were healed here? I mean, you got a great throng. Right. Uh, I'd say more than the first one. Maybe 500. Okay. We've Maybe got, a thousand. I don't know. We've got hundreds in this one, most yeah. likely. It's hard to say, but when you say a great throng of people, it's, it's like, well, there's too many to count here. Yeah. And it says, power was coming from him and he and healing them all. So in that first instance, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. In this instance, yeah. hundreds yeah. all being healed. Now, I mean, the spectacle of this healer would have been a worldwide viral video today, wouldn't it? It would. Oh, definitely. Can and you, especially if it says free healing available. <laughs> right. And especially if it's out in the open yeah, where everybody can see. It says he stood with them on a level place. So he stood with them in a big area. It's like a big field where oh, this throng can gather. And Jesus is performing these miracles out in the open, there's nothing hidden, there's nothing quiet be about this. So this would have been an amazing thing for us to see today, but it's not the way heal healing works today. And you've got to ask yourself why the differences. We'll get to that shortly. One more example, Jonathan, after the feeding of the 5,000. It's again all about the grace of healing for the average person here. We're going to go to Mark chapter 6, verses 54 to 56. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. Okay, the people, not disciples, because it would have said disciples, regular people. And what did they do? They ran about the whole country and began to carrying here and there their pallets of those who were sick to the place where they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countrysides, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were being cured. Okay, so you've got this whole thing and they're going about the countryside and they're bringing people down to the, the, the villages and they're lining them up just so they could just get close to Jesus and touch the fringe of his clo uh, cloak. So Jonathan, I'm going to ask you again, how many were, were cured? How many were healed? Rick, think of the context. These The 5,000 were fed, and that was just the men. You add the women and children. There were tens of thousands of people at that miracle, and then they're running and following him and telling other people about it. This was huge. This this was probably in the thousands. So you've got what, whatever, the, and we don't know the numbers. We're speculating, no. but we're speculating for a reason, okay? We're speculating because we're looking at this saying Jesus worked miracles wholesale in a big way. And in these three instances, we have literally hundreds and probably thousands of people who are healed. So, so what's the, our first, quote, faith healing fact here that we need to establish? Well, Rick, those who were healed were not deserving beyond any other 
and most often were not shown to have faith in anything beyond their Jewish heritage and their hope of healing. None of these examples where he heals them all talks anything about anybody having any faith. It just says he heals them because they're there. So he's healing them out of graciousness. And I think that's a huge thing. And he didn't heal a few this way. He healed thousands this way. This is an important place to start when we're talking about faith healing, because we want to understand how it was done in the Bible. How was healing done in the Bible? How's it being done today? And do the two match, or are the two different? So, as we look at this, so far, healing is awesome. It's free, it glorifies God, and it seems to be, seems to be for everyone. Didn't Jesus often say that it was someone's faith that made them whole? What about those examples? As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side, time to go in reverse with a CQ Contradiction. Yes, Jesus did say that at least seven or eight times through his healing work uh, that someone's faith would make them whole. This brings a really important question into play. Why would so much of Jesus' healing be done so freely just because he happened to be there? And why would some healing have required faith? And that's a good question. I think that's the main question. I, I think you're right. I think if we can begin to isolate that, is there, is there a difference And if there's a difference, what's the difference? Or is there not a difference? And is Jesus teaching something else? I think the next uh, healing event is actually going to help us answer that question of is there a difference or is there not? Uh, We're going to go to the event of healing that Jesus did with the 10 lepers. You know, you know, the kids song about that 10 unclean and nowhere to go and you know, it, it, it's, it's a wonderful song, and in the song, it's Jesus freely heals these ten men who were sick with leprosy, and only one of them comes back to give thanks. And so, Jesus does heal these ten lepers. Only one has the healing attributed to his faith. So, um, we're, we're kind of telling you what the verse says before we get to it. So, the question is going to be, was this like a 90% failure then? Because the other nine didn't come back right. and thank you. Oh, right. Okay. I mean, w- what... What happened here? Let, let's look at it again. We can't look at the whole thing. Luke 17, verses 15 through 19. Now one of them turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Okay, so let's pause here for a minute, because how many were healed in this example? Ten. How many came back? One. How is it that Jesus tells the one his faith has made him whole when the other nine were made whole and they didn't have faith, according to what Jesus is saying? It's a good question. (laughs) Now, now, Rick, with, with this... Wasn't the context that Jesus told them to go to the the high priest and tell them uh, what had taken place with right. this healing? Because the high priest had to proclaim them clean again. 
Because they were leopards. Right. Okay, got it. Right. So they had leprosy. They had to be proclaimed clean to be allowed back into society. So what that also tells us, I'm glad you brought that part up, because that also tells us that the healing that Jesus did, if he told them to go to the high priest, that healing was going to stick around. Oh, that's permanent. Right. It wasn't something that was going to be, you're going to, it's going to look better for, the rash goes away but comes back three days later. It's got to be completely gone for them to get back into society. Right. Exactly. So that's another really important point about the healing of Jesus. But so, so here, here's the issue. Okay. You've got one of them where Jesus says, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. Now, so they all received the gift of being made whole. Nine were in what we're going to call the eat and run category. <laughs> well, well, you know, you think about that. You know, you, Fast food healing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, hey, it's free, and hey, got to go. Thanks. Thanks so, much. Thank, thanks so much for the meal. Got to go. You know, that, that's kind of what it was. But only one had enough faith to pursue humble gratitude and praise. Now, here's the thing. In such a heart lies the potential for an even deeper healing in a similar way to the women, woman by the well was given or was offered living water. Remember that? Oh, yeah. She was also a Samaritan. She was a Samaritan. And it's interesting that the Samaritan was the one who came back and, and said, thank you. You know, that is interesting. Uh, but what it's telling me, I think, is, you know, in my own mind, and this is hard to, to put into words, but in my own mind, when Jesus says, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. Well, the other nine were made well without that faith. And what Jesus is saying is your faith had a role in your being made well, and it can bring you further if you would let it. That's what I think the message of Jesus was here. But at this point, it was faith in the gift of healing. It wasn't faith in Jesus as Lord to follow him. It was faith in the gift of healing. And I think that's an important thing. Uh, I think that the others had hope for healing, And this guy probably had faith legitimately in the beginning and showed it, okay? He didn't develop the faith after the fact. I think he had it before the fact and showed it by coming back and bowing before Jesus and being really deeply humble in his gratitude. Let's go back to uh, Darren Brown. Remember, we introduced him, and he introduced that he's going to show us how healing works by those who aren't healing but are making you believe that they're healing. And yes, they exist, they're out there, and it's a travesty against the name of God, against the name of Jesus Christ, that they do such things and use the name of Jesus uh, as, as their reason for healing. All of our volunteers have genuine registered disabilities. I've merely asked them to respond completely honestly and imagine they were at a real event with an audience. You can lip read? Okay. This woman has been deaf since she was born. She doesn't know what it is to hear. So you can, you can read my lips. So I'm going to turn away and say a word. 27. Nope, she can't hear. She needs to lip read to hear what I'm saying. Let's heal these ears. She hasn't heard a word for 39 years. Without lip reading, she doesn't know what I'm saying to her. Heal this woman. Restore her hearing, I hate those devils of deafness, I hate those devils of deafness, and I cast them out now. I command this hearing to be restored, to be restored now. How many clicks? Say, Jesus. Jesus. 
She's no longer lip reading. A miracle seems to have happened. So, and, and again, Jonathan, it loses some in the translation when you don't see it, but he's standing behind her and snapping his fingers and saying, how many clicks? And so you look at this, and this is a woman who's legitimately hearing impaired, and she can hear the clicks. You know, and you're thinking, wow, look at that. Now, he has said, I'm going to create an illusion. I'm going to show you what it, why it looks like she's healed, but she really isn't. So he's going through motions to explain to you how an illusion works. We'll get to how he does this uh, you know, a little bit later, but it's, it's really, really distressing to, to hear um, him, him, him nail this thing down so, so fully. So, uh, and, and, and again, are we saying that the, all of the healing of, of all of Christians uh, falls into this category of people creating illusions? No. But we are saying that there's way, 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 way too much of it of people who are out there to create an illusion. Okay, we'll talk about putting other things in perspective later on. But when you've got those who are out there to create an illusion, that is not a good thing. Let's go now to a little bit more of Jesus healing. Because, you know, in the question you asked at the end of the last segment is, didn't Jesus often say that, you know, someone's faith made them whole? Well, we saw it in one of the lepers. Okay, now let's take a look at another example. Okay, um, well, first of all, Jesus, I'm running ahead of myself. Jesus healed to show the glory of God's coming kingdom. Healing was a free gift of God's love through Jesus. Many were healed in the be healed and run category. Yeah, but Rick, the gift was still freely given, right? Yes, even though it was be healed and run, he still gave it. And you say, well, why would he do that? First of all, it was prophesied that he would, be, would heal. He was letting the people know that he was there. This was a sign of his presence as Messiah. And perhaps, Jonathan, one of the reasons was that the Pharisees needed to see the signs of his presence as the Messiah. They needed to see something different in him. So the prophecy said he would be a healer, and he was, even though some did not. Many did not, most did not seemingly follow him. He still healed them because he could. And he was Jesus and he was the Messiah. Let's take a look now where there's a little bit more faith involved in this. Healing and faith together. The example of the woman with the 12-year issue, blood issue, uh, shows faith in the healing gift as well in a very dramatic way. And again, we're just going to drop in on the story and just get a couple of high points because we want to touch on several of these stories. Mark chapter 5, verses 27, and then verses 33 and 34. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Oh, now see, that was faith in the gift. She's healed. And Jesus responds in the midst of this jostling crowd with, who touched me? I mean, I mean, he's being jostled all over the place. Have you ever seen a crowd like at a, at a football game or a soccer game where there's people are all jammed in? You know, he's yeah, in, I feel claustrophobic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's like, what do you mean, who touched me? And his, his, his disciples ask him, wait, wait, wait. Everybody's knocking you over practically. But, you know, it's because he understood the mechanics of healing, however they worked uh, in his life. And what happens next? Because she, she's found out. Yes, she is. But the woman, fearing and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. 
Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So it's interesting. He says to her, your faith has made you well. Now, the first question is, did she become a follower of Jesus? Jonathan, do you know? Well, wait, Rick. Uh, (laughs) He said, go in peace. He did not say, and come follow me, did he? No, actually, that's a good point. He said, go in peace. He was basically saying, you can go home now. Right. So, so it, there's no, no telling that later on she may have said, because he, he gave me this precious gift, I am going to dedicate my life to him and follow him. But here it shows nothing like that. Well, and you know the way you put that is, is really important. Because he gave me this precious gift, she had faith in the gift. She was fighting her way through that crowd, saying to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I can be healed, and this thing that has bothered me and has, has, has dominated my life can go away. So she had great faith in that gift. It doesn't show that she had faith in Jesus as her Lord and Master, but she had great faith in the gift. Could she have had that faith? Sure. Could it develop later? Sure. We just don't know. All we know is that she had great faith and she, she had a deeper healing because of that faith in the gift. Because she worked to get herself in a position to be able to be healed, I think that the, the power of the healing went even further than just taking away the malady. I think it startled her own mind to a, a, a new potential reality. Um, you know, faith in healing is rewarded with a deeper conviction. Let's look at another example, Jonathan. This next one is really important because we keep saying they had faith in the healing, faith in the gift, faith in the gift. This example shows why we keep saying that because this is going to show us two different levels of faith, two types of faith in this example of the Jewish official who meets Jesus on behalf of his dying son. He's, he's desperate. His son is dying. This is John chapter 4, verses 47, then 49 to 53. He went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down. Behold, my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. Okay, it says the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. The man believed in the gift. And so, Rick... That, that is it. He, he had faith in that gift. Yes, and he started to go home. He went home. I, I got, he got this. Right. I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm right. done here. Right. Okay. Let's continue. Verses 51 to 53. His slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour. Then they said, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. So, Jonathan, it's interesting. It said the man believed the word that Jesus spoke originally. But now it says he himself believed and his whole household. And what they're saying is he believed and became a follower. That's it. Rick, that's the ultimate blessing. Yes. To have the miracle move you to follow in Christ's footsteps. Right. That is beautiful. Two different types of faith, though. Faith in the gift, and then faith in the action required to become a follower. Two very different things. And we see most of Jesus' healing with the tens and the thousands being that faith in the gift. And that's all okay. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And many of them were just, you know, they're hoping. They're, maybe they didn't. Those who put themselves out to put themselves in front of Jesus, they showed faith in the gift. And Jesus they had re- courage. Right. And Jesus would remark, your faith has made you whole. I healed you, but your faith put you in place. And I think exactly. that's what's, what's being said. Two blind men healed as a result of their faith. Same thing. Matthew nine twenty seven to 31. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. See, right there. Do you believe I'm able to do this? They said, Yes, Lord. Faith in the gift. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. So I, I love that story because for, for several reasons. First of all, Jesus challenged them. Do you believe that I can, I can make you see again? And they were unequivocal. Yes. They believed in the gift. They truly believed in the gift. And then they were healed. And Jesus said, okay, don't tell anyone. Now look, you've been blind you know, <clears throat> for maybe for life, who knows, with these two men. And now you can see and you're not going to tell anyone. And, <laughs> <laughs> but they, not, they didn't just go home and say, look what happened. Look what Jesus did for me. It says they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. They became followers. And, and Rick, the gift of this healing stayed with them. Their sight did not leave them and go back to blindness. Right. Right. You know, and, and we, why we keep bringing that up? Because these are illustrations that the healing that Jesus gave to those people at that time was permanent from the standpoint of, of, an, of an imperfect life. And of course, the person's still going to die and so forth and so on. But that malady was taken away from them. Too often, too often, when you get to interview someone who went through, quote, healing, unquote, in our world today, you find that they felt better and then reverted back. Not so in the healing of Jesus. And these examples teach us. So folks, what we're saying is there's a difference. There's several differences between the way Jesus did it and the way things seem to be done today. Jesus was out in public. He healed thousands. And faith wasn't mentioned in most cases. Seven or eight times did Jesus say, your faith has made you whole. That's it. Seven or eight times. He healed thousands without saying that, without acknowledging that. So, you know, what do we conclude from that? His healing was not faith healing. It was grace healing. Big difference. So what's our, quote, faith healing fact? Healing was received three ways. First, being healed and run. Second, faith in the free gift shown in the courage to pursue. Third, Faith in the giver of this gift as shown in the act of discipleship. So healing wasn't cut and dry. There were different types of people that were healed with different kinds of results and different kinds of of responses. And that makes this all really important. So now healing gets more complicated as Jesus is giving those who are open more steps to take. So the healing Jesus did was primarily not faith-based. How about the healing the apostles did? 
If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. It would make sense that the apostles and disciples healing miracles would follow the same pattern as Jesus, and that is the case. What we will see is the healing of unbelievers, not based on faith, but as a free gift for the sake of the gospel being spread, and curiously, many fewer instances of faith. And I think, Jonathan, that's kind of a really important point, and we're going we're gonna to establish that right at the very beginning of this segment. We're going to look at some of the healings that the apostles did. And in my own looking into the subject, and, you know, I could have missed something, okay? But I only found one instance, we'll get to it at the end of the segment, where one of the apostles healed somebody based on their faith. Okay. Now, Jesus only said it, you know, your faith has made you whole, or some, some form of that, seven or eight times. And we've actually put several of the other instances in the, in the bonus material of Seeker Rewind. So folks, if you don't get Seeker Rewind, uh, go to the, the website and just, uh, you can, you can it's, it's a free service, you can just get on it and open it up and take a look and and um, the bonus material adds in a lot of things we just don't have time to talk about here uh, today. So, Jonathan, the apostles were given the gift to heal. There's no question about it. There's no they question. Were. Before we get to Simon Peter, who did some of the most really dramatic healing in all of the New Testament and really is amazing, let's go back to Darren Brown. Now, remember, he was dealing with that woman who was deaf Yes. Who could not hear, and you know, he snapped his fingers. He was standing behind her, and she could hear how many times he snapped his fingers. And and you know, he said, "Look, it's a miracle right before us." Now he's telling us, "I'm creating a, a, an illusion. I'm just I'm telling you at a time. I'm creating an illusion." And but you look at it, and you think, "Wow, that looks pretty impressive." Well, now he's going to be dealing with somebody who's got an issue with blindness. In blind since birth, and how old are you now, Ian? Uh, Forty-six. This man is forty-six. He has been blind since birth. This man has never been able to see. He doesn't know what it's even like to be able to see. Take a step forward for me. Let's start praying. (sighs) Father, I command those devils of blindness to come out of this man. I command in Jesus' name those devils of blindness to leave this man in Jesus' holy name. Spirit, fall upon this man. Heal this man. Bring him back up. Bring him back up. Come forward, come forward, come forward. Father, open this man's eyes. Ian, how many fingers am I holding up? Tell me how many fingers. Two. He sees. Lord be praised, this man sees. Ian, I've got a handkerchief. Take the handkerchief from me. Take it from me. Follow me around. Come on, follow me around. Somebody praise the Lord. This man can see his sight is restored. These are the miracles. Who believes in miracles? He's been healed from blindness. And, and Jonathan, to watch the video is pretty impressive because he holds his fingers up and the guy says, you're holding up two fingers, and he takes the handkerchief and then he follows him around. You think, huh, you know, is this guy a prop? You know, because he's saying I'm creating an illusion. Well, we'll get to how he's going to explain it all later on. But it's just fascinating that he's able to recreate an illusion. And folks, again, I apologize. 
apologize sincerely if this if you find this offensive. But much of the healing that you see going on in these big, uh, you know, in these big events is 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 just illusion. That's all it is. It's no more than that, and it's there to do one thing: make money. And we'll get to that next segment. Okay. Let's do to uh, Simon Peter at Solomon's Portico. Let's look at the Apostles' healing. And folks, here's the point. As we go into the Apostles' healing, let me just say this at the beginning. If we heal, we should be doing it just like Jesus did and just like the Apostles did. And if we decide we should be doing it in a different environment, under different circumstances, than what they chose each and every time, I think we're wrong. I think we're walking down the wrong path because that's not the scriptural precedent. That's why we're going through these events one at a time. Peter at Solomon's portico, stunning miracles resulting in dire opposition. Uh, these acts um, resulted in, in faith in the free gift that we've been talking about, and in many cases, faith in the giver as well, okay? Faith in, in, in Jesus, because Peter was representing Jesus, and he always said that. These were the kind of miracles that were, you got to see this kind of events. You just got you to see this to believe it. Acts 5, uh, um, 14 through 20. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Okay, so, you know, that's an interesting thing. And, and, you know, there are commentaries vary on this particular part of the verse. Adam Clark has sort of a dissenting view on what happened here because a lot of us, we look at this verse and we assume that the shadow of Peter passed over these people and they were healed. Well, I'm not sure if that's actually what happened. And, and honestly, I don't know the answer to this one. I'm not sure which way it goes. just want to put Adam Clark's commentary in here as, as a reference point. I cannot see all the miraculous influence here that others profess to see. It does not appear that the persons who thus thought and acted were converts already made to the faith of Christ, nor does it appear that any person was healed in this way. Okay, because, you know, it's not saying that the, the shadow of Peter healed them. And again, maybe it did. I don't know. We do know that there was grand healing going on because verse 16 tells us in a slightly different context, but it does tell us that. Go ahead, Jonathan, with that. Verse. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Okay, so you've got also this also thing going on, and it says, and they were all being healed. So you've got people. And, and see, that's the thing. It's not talking about disciples. It's talking about people. When they talk about disciples, they're called disciples. So you have average people coming out into the streets where the healing was seen by everyone. And, and Rick, talking about that, what do you think the scribes and Pharisees were thinking when they're observing this after Jesus was off the scene? Yeah, they're figuring we got rid of him. Thank goodness. Yeah. But now you've got the Apostle Peter. So this healing invited opposition. Didn't hide from it. Didn't deny anything. Didn't, uh, you know, didn't refuse to be interviewed. Okay? Because that's what happens in the world that we live in. Good but, point, Rick. But, but here, here, well, let's read verses 17 through 20 of Acts chapter 5. 
But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of this life. So again, faith is not a factor in this healing. There was no, by your faith you are made whole. It says he healed them all. It, and, you know, it doesn't say a word about they all followed him. Now, sometimes you do have people follow it. There's no question about it, but not always. So what we're saying is faith in Jesus is not always present to the point of, of having someone become a disciple, but faith in the gift of healing is something that can very easily be shown as being there. And that harmonizes with the way Jesus did it. Exactly. Exactly. And it was done in public in the face of those who would disagree. And it was done, and Jesus did it not only in the face of those, he did it purposefully so they could see. <laughs> yes, to wake them up. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. It was a public witness. That's what it was. It was a witness to others on the outside, and it was done in the, in the context of being on the outside. Faith is not a factor in these healings. It's a free gift of healing, but it was certainly a factor afterwards. Let's go to another example with Peter, Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 35. And folks, I apologize that we're going so, so through so many of these things so quickly. We want to touch on several events to give you a flavor for the for for it happening so many different so many different times because it proves the point of how it was done and if we're going to heal i submit to you and this is a rick opinion okay that we should be doing it exactly like they did and if we're not going to do it out in public out on the street in the face of opposition then what are we doing because that's the way they always did it acts 9 32 to 35 now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man. Okay, a man, not a believer, just a man. Named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Now, it doesn't say this man had faith. He, it says Peter came upon him, and he was really, really in, a in, in dire straits. And what happens? Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up, and all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So he was healed, and it was the, 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 the Peter is not the focus. Jesus Christ is the focus, because that's what Peter says. It was public, and these people turned to the Lord because they saw that and they saw Peter and they heard the name of Jesus and they wanted to be part of Jesus. It's not just Jonathan, they, they liked the healing. There was right. much more here. It the, doesn't say Aeneas was one of them that turned no, to the Lord. It no. says the people saw the miracle and they turned to the yeah, Lord. I'm, so. I'd, love to th I'd love to think that he did and maybe he did and hopefully he did. Maybe he did. <laughs> but the point is it was done in public so the public could see. That's why it was done publicly. You know, Jonathan, there are those in, in our world that um, do healing uh, and do great damage to Christianity. And uh, one such individual is Benny Hinn. And everybody knows who he is. And it's a show. That's what it is. If you've ever watched him, it's a show. And I have looked extensively 
into his healing, and I've looked very deeply to try to find cooperation of the healings, and it, the trail always runs dry. It always runs dry. Or you find somebody a months later, and they're just back to the way they were. So it's very discouraging. It's deeply discouraging because the man is, is a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. Well, his nephew, name is Costi Hin, he wrote a book because he worked with Mr. Hin for many, many years and then left the ministry because he couldn't take it anymore. This is um, Costi on an interview on an on a, uh, uh, internet radio uh, program called Wretched Radio, and he's talking about his experience working alongside of Benny Hinn. Listen, listen to the things that happen here. Uh, our hotel, when I traveled, one of my favorite places, and I've mentioned this before, was the Burj Al Arab, the massive hotel in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates, that's shaped like a sail. It's on a man-made island. You get picked up in three luxury cars. And we stayed in the Royal Suite. I remember sleeping in my own room within the Royal Suite. There were multiple rooms. And it was $25,000 per night to stay in the Royal Suite. And the hotel has actual gold all throughout it. Literally thousands and thousands of tons of gold. You can look this up. It's legit. And then we had an entourage with us. And so there were other suites that we had for uh, what was a layover on our way to go and serve in India, in Mumbai, for that crusade in 2004 that had over a million people in attendance. And that would give you an idea of how we're living or how I was and still our family members do off of donations. And Jonathan, I mean, he was there. I mean, he, he, he stayed at the suite. He knows what it's like. And you think about that, and that's not the relationship that Jesus taught us. That's not what we ever saw the Apostle Paul do. That's not the example of Christian leadership at all. That's selfishness and greed, Rick. Yeah, and, and you know, it's just a sad, sad story. Jonathan, before we go any further, just really quick, Trish has got a comment and or question, not sure which, we'll find out now. Well, well hello. <laughs> um, I wanted to say first that Benny Hinn frosts my cake. I just, he irritates me. Okay. So, anyway. Um, what I was thinking about is, in Jesus' day, they didn't have hospitals, right? So people were sick, they were just there. If it were today, he would go to a hospital. And he would clear it out. You'd see the hospital be empty. He'd go to the children's hospital. He'd go to down to Yale, New Haven, and he would heal these people. So if people want to do that, if they say they are truly healing people, go to the hospital and clear it out. You know, and, and that's thanks, Trish. That's, that's an important point because that's what Jesus did. He, the, 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 the hospital essentially was brought to him, and, and the scripture says he healed them all. Did faith matter? Nope. No, it didn't. He just healed them because he could. You know, and you see the Apostle Peter do the same thing, and he healed them all. So you're right. And that's, that's the bone that we have to pick with healing today. It's done in the confines of privacy within a Christian room, and that's not the way it was done in the New Testament. Now, occasionally it was done in a synagogue. Of course it was. Okay? But you don't forget, you had those who did not believe right there. So it was always done as a public witness. Who was healed? We haven't seen any evidence of anybody being a follower being healed. One more uh, example here, Jonathan. Um, 
And uh, this is this is the one example. Now there may be others. I, I may have missed them, but uh, one example in the New Testament of the apostles healing somebody with faith in the act of healing. Acts fourteen verses eight through twelve. This is the apostle Paul at Lystra. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke. Who, when he gazed, fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. Okay, so you've got this instance. Paul looks him in the eye. He sees him, and he says, you know, okay, that he had the faith to be made well. And Paul heals him. Now, he's a member of the public. There's this man. It's not a Christian. It's not a disciple. There's this guy, and he heals him. And guess what happens when Paul heals him? Word gets out, and here's what happens, verses 11 and 12. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So what happens is Paul and Barnabas get into trouble because they do something in public, and now they're being lauded as gods, and they're not. Well, they calmed the crowd down yes, they uh, did. very quickly, saying, no, this was from God through, through Jesus. Jesus' name. It's not us, and let's get that straight here and now. But see, <laughs> the point, Jonathan, is the healing was publicized, and there was a response, a dramatic response. And that's what we see in every case. And folks, if the healing of today is legitimate, why is it not done in the same kind of way? Faith healing fact, Jonathan, for this segment is what? Early Christian healing was public, usually went viral, was for the sake of unbelievers, and was rarely, if ever done, for the benefit of disciples. All of this time, we still haven't seen any disciples being healed yet. So the focus of healing at at the hands of the disciples really was the same focus that Jesus had. Modern healing within Christian circles does not seem to follow any of these guidelines. Why not? We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in convo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. Unfortunately, this is where we begin to look at more of the dark side of healing. As with anything of great value, the miracles of the early Christian church were copied and corrupted by those who were not after godliness, but after gain. New Testament evidence of this degradation is actually, unfortunately, very, very easy to find. So, Jonathan, that's what we're going to spend this segment doing, is taking a look at specific one specific example of the kind of degradation that easily would creep into Christianity which I believe has brought us to the point uh, of the way healing uh, works works today and again folks again you know we're being very very straightforward on this and uh, apologize this is not meant to be offensive to anyone, but it is meant to be truthful in accordance with Scripture. And if we're going to say 
public, well, public or to, to our congregation, that we are doing things in accordance with Scripture, then do them in accordance with Scripture. But don't change the environment. Don't change the results. Don't change the requirements. Because they're laid out for us. We just have to read them. Healing's dark side. A convert known as Simon, the magician. Okay, When somebody is a magician and then converts to Christianity, you know you've got to be really careful because there's a past. Simon the magician shows us the paganizing of Christianity. And again, we're just touching on this event. This could be an entire podcast, this event with Simon. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 24, we'll take it in several pieces. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the power of God. All right. This man is called the great power of God. I mean, this is the reputation that Simon the magician had. He was a pretty popular guy. He was looked at with awe by the average person because he did things that were astonishing to his audiences. And bottom line, Jonathan, he was a master of illusion. Mm -hmm. That's what he was. Okay, that's why that's what a magician is, the master of illusion. So what happens in this story is Philip comes along and does miracles and Simon attaches himself to Philip because Simon can't do what Philip does. Okay, and again, it's done publicly. Otherwise, Simon would have never known about it. So Philip does these miracles and Peter and John show up and bring the Holy Spirit, because up to this point, the Holy Spirit hadn't come upon anyone there yet. And so we're going to read now verses 16 through 19 of Acts chapter 8, for the next little piece of the story. For the Spirit had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Jonathan, that desire captures what's so very wrong with the way the healing culture goes today. I'll pay you for this. And I think this example was put in the Bible for us to see the hypocrisy later on in, Christian, in, in the gospel. Yeah, you know, and, and again, it's done for the sake of making money. Look at how wealthy these big names are in the healing business. We're not going to name all, any more names than we've already named because we're going to go back to that one. Uh, but, you know, Jonathan, th- their wealth is undisclosed, and, you know, and, and there's no evidence that's provable down the road. And yet they continue to do it. Simon was just like that. He was saying, I'll, I'll pay you. I will pay you this. This I can really astonish people with. This is a magic trick right. that it goes beyond what I could have ever done. Right. So exposure to the seeming magic of miracles, because it seemed like magic, and the magic of transferring magic to others appeals to Simon's baser nature. He could now really be the great power of God. All he had to do was fork over the money. Okay? So he wants to fork over the money so he can ride the wave of this amazing power. Apostle Peter, 
Uh, not going to happen anytime soon, according to Peter. Here's what he says. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gull of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. So the Apostle Peter really lays it out. And he said, look, you've got to repent of this wickedness. You are in the gall of bitterness, the bondage of iniquity. This bondage of iniquity is where any perversion of Christian practice or principle for gain actually comes from. And Rick, taking advantage of the weak instead of blessing them with the good news, which is the purpose of... of, of what this healing was meant to teach back in the Old Testament. Yeah, and, and, and that's the problem here, is it was displacing that which was good with that which looked impressive. And that which looked impressive can create cash flow. That which is good doesn't prove to create cash flow, Okay. Because you don't look at the, I mean, you 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 do know that uh, that, and I'm being sarcastic at this point, just telling you ahead of time that you know the Apostle Paul had, you know, he had a summer home and a winter home and a spring home and a fall home, right? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter well, must have. Uh, no, um, <laughs> it, it's it's not only the wealth, Rick. It's the power. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. control. It, it's a high. For yeah. those that, that want it and want to hold on to it. And, you know, and, and the bondage of iniquity, the bondage of sin. But he says you're in the gall of bitterness. That's a Hebraism, okay, expressing excessive bitterness. It's used in Deuteronomy 29.18 in relation to idolatry. You know, it, it, it's literally you are in the bile. You know, the bile is that green slime that's in your liver. <laughs> okay, the bile of bitterness. So, I mean, it's talking about just hideousness in relation to spirituality, and that's where Simon had gone. Perversion of the gospel. Let's go back to uh, Benny Hinn's nephew, Costi, as he is explaining the reasoning now in, in this part of his interview as to why they were so willing to accept the, the, the big dollars, if you will. Yeah, and we tied ourselves into Christ and into the gospel. So to give you an idea, uh, we would always elevate the man of God so that when people were giving... They were giving to support the man of God, who is God's mouthpiece and his herald. And therefore, when people are giving to us, and we lived, the square footage was just under 10,000 square feet, our mansion up in Canada, um, with the Benzes and all that lifestyle. I had my own sport court growing up, a hot indoor hot tub, steam room, outdoor pool, just the, I mean, we lived like it was the Ritz-Carlton every day. And that is, is applauded because we're serving the Lord. And we should be taken care of. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. And you shouldn't muzzle the ox while he's treading the grain. And every scripture is twisted. And, of course, we are the benefactors. You know, and so we should be taken care of. You know, and you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and he spent his life taking care of others. You know, and, and, and it, it is exactly opposite because, it's like you said, it's greed and it's power. And when we can put ourselves in a position of greed and power, then we feel like, well, we've got it all going on right here, right now, and it's coming to me, and I'm deserving. No, absolutely not. Jesus 
had the clothes on his back. That was it. That was it. You saw the Apostle Paul. You saw the Apostle Peter. You see the other apostles and disciples giving things up in the, in the, in, in the New Testament, not absorbing things. You know, completely opposite. And that's the culture within, in, in which so much of this healing goes on. Philippians three seventeen to 19. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. So in the, in the New Testament, Jonathan, you have hints, you have prophetic statements that say, look, this is what's going to happen. Jesus told us, the apostles told us, grievous wolves will come in. They're going to distort things. And this really, we believe, is one of the great distortions of our time. Great distortions of our time. And by and large, Jonathan, it's an illusion. Okay, let's go back to Darren Brown, Faith Healers Tricks Exposed. Uh, and remember, he healed that, uh, that, that the individual who was deaf, and then the, the individual was blind, right? Right. Okay, now listen carefully in this soundbite, because now he explains how he didn't heal them, how nothing changed whatsoever. It's just that we were in watching, it looked like something changed. Listen to this. Let's go back to Sophie and find out a little more. Have I just really healed you of deafness? No. You are moderately deaf, that you're essentially hearing impaired. Hmm. Yes. You can't really hear if I, without your hearing aid, if I face the other way. Mm, but all not. the clicks and everything you can hear anyway. Yes. Yeah. And you're not healed because, well, nothing's, nothing has changed. In a similar way, although Ian has genuinely been blind since birth, like most registered blind people, he has some impaired vision. And with the right lighting, he can see blurred shapes and colors, enough to see the number of fingers I was holding against my dark jacket. Tell me how many fingers. Two. Enough to see my bright handkerchief. And of course, his hearing helps him follow me around the room. Follow me around. Come on, follow me around. Both of these major miracles are created by allowing the audience to be misled about the extent of someone's real condition, then presenting things they can already do as evidence of change, when actually they're just the same as they were before. And so it happens so quickly and so emotionally. You get caught up in the moment, and the people just simply answer the questions that he, he's asking them. Can you hear this? Of course they can hear it. They could always hear it, but they're not going to tell you, well, I could hear that before, because they're caught up in that moment. And so, you know, it, it's, we just have to understand that the, 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 the healing of the scriptures was unequivocal. There was no marginalization of it. It was clear. It was concise. It was undoubtedly true beyond the shadow of any doubt. And we have that over and over again. And Jonathan, you just don't see that kind of healing today. We're going to be talking. No, you don't. We're, we're going to be talking about, you know, sort of internal things in, in the next segment a little bit. Because, you know, there is a kind of Christian healing that I think is appropriate, but it's not this. It's not this at all. As a matter of fact, you know, look, there are no viral examples of true long-lasting healing from these healers. And the reason there are no... Ex they would be viral, folks. They would be out there. We'd all know about it. They'd have billions of views. They'd shut down YouTube, as a matter of fact. They'd, there'd be so many views if it was really, really deeply true. Matthew seven twenty one to 23. Not everyone who says 
to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And Rick, the context of this is after the day of judgment. And basically, Jesus is saying, you did not do my will. You didn't follow in my footsteps. You did other things that were not connected to me, and you blew it. Yeah, yeah. You did things that were not connected to me. So the question is, what happens with healing now? And let, let, let's deal with that squarely right here, right now. First Corinthians twelve twenty-eight to 31, or 28 and 31. Again, we're just dropping in on these things. There's a lot of pieces to this. But what are we supposed to be healing now? Let's go to these verses. And God has appointed in the church, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues, but earnest desire, earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you still a more excellent way. The Corinthian church was way too worldly in the way they thought, and they got all tied up in wanting to be able to do the really fancy things of Christianity, and there were gifts of the Spirit in those days, and they were really stuck on speaking in tongues, and they were not being appropriate in all of this. So the apostle is telling them, look, God has appointed in the church, and it's interesting, he lays out three, three things very specifically, apostles, prophets, and teachers. Right. He says, then the other things. So when you get the idea of apostles, prophets, and teachers, you know those are numbered. And I think he numbers those specifically because those are what the Christian faith is truly built on in the long term. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, next chapter, verse 8, listen carefully to what happens. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Yeah, first of all, you say, wait, knowledge is going to be done away with? He's talking about the gift of knowledge. He's talking about gifts. A gift was something that was given to someone who didn't do the work to, to, to learn it. Like a prophet could speak and could discern truth and could, uh, could, could, could in some cases, you know, it's the same word used for the prophets of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Okay, speak as a mouthpiece of God. And that was something that those people didn't practice they were given that as a gift. And he says, the gift of prophecy is going to pass away. And, and it's interesting. How many apostles were there? Twelve. And they died. Yeah. So the they're, three... Yeah, they're no more on this earth. That's right. The, and, you know, and the idea of apostolic uh, succession, that's a whole different story. But no, no. The, the scriptures Not don't show all. us that. Um, but see, here's the thing. The apostles, prophets, and teachers. Apostles died... And it says specifically, prophecy, the gift of prophecy is going to pass away. That leaves teachers. That's right. And that was the last of the numbered things. And Jonathan, I truly believe that these verses are telling us that we are going to have to live in a different way. We're not supposed to always rely on those gifts. Those gifts were there at the beginning to show Jesus, to show who Jesus was. They were there at the beginning to show who the apostles were. But now you've got to get to a different level. And you notice just really quickly, 
And uh, you know what? Really quickly, I'll, I'll mention it in the next segment because we're out of time for this segment. So just what's our faith healing fact uh, for this segment, Jonathan? Faith healing is not a biblical teaching now, and it never was. Biblical healing was focused on unbelievers for the purpose of showing God's grace and the glory of the coming kingdom. The purpose of showing God's grace to the public. You know, it's downright scary how easy it is for the true gospel to so easily be taken off track. Aren't there scriptures that talk about healing within Christianity? Shouldn't we follow them? We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. You're right, Jonathan. There are some scriptures that speak of being sick in prayer, and we will uh, talk about those right now. But think about how Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach's issues. Why didn't he just heal him? Why are there no plain examples of followers benefiting from such miracles? Rick, I have an observation. Yes. Christians that go to these faith healing services seem to be saying, I don't like God's will for me and the lessons that they bring. Would you agree? Yeah. You know, and I think that's a, that's a powerful, powerful observation. We're going to get to a scripture that nails that down. But, you know, if we are coming to Christianity because we want to feel better physically, then we're coming for the wrong reasons. Christianity is not about feeling better physically. It's about following Jesus. It's not about getting better physically. It's about becoming more mature spiritually. There's a massive difference between the two. And before we go to this next verse, Jonathan, just another observation, because that that was really good in terms of personal thing. But look at the way the New Testament is laid out. You've got Jesus, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's healing all over the place, thousands. No mention of faith in most of the cases, but thousands. Then you have Pentecost, and after Pentecost, you've got the Apostle Peter leading the way, and there's a lot of healing going on. And then Paul comes on the scene, and there's healing going on. And then the rest of the New Testament kind of goes along, and the instances of healing, you can see, drops dramatically off. You're right, it does. It doesn't get talked about so much anymore. Why? No. No, that's interesting, Rick. And I think the answer to that is because it was no longer needed as a sign. They were established. They had fulfilled the prophetic opening of the eyes of the people, and now the gospel, the good news itself, was to take over. Our path is higher, sacrificial, and selfless. Seeking healing would be contradictory. Go ahead. Right, and if Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered— why shouldn't we? You know, that's a really good question, and I wouldn't have a good answer for you other than you're right. We should, that's the way we need to do it. Second Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 7. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, if this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, now we who have prepared us, for this very purpose is God, 
who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And that, I think, is the key. What he's saying is, look, the body that we're in is a mess, and we groan within it, and it's difficult, and it's painful, and it hurts, and it doesn't work right, and all of these things, and we have maladies and sicknesses and all of this, and he's saying we want to be delivered from it. But he's not saying be delivered by being healed. He's saying be delivered by being faithful and going to heaven. That's right. That is the physical healing. If you want physical healing, that's where to get it. Be faithful unto death, go to heaven, and all is well. Okay? You're never going to get sick again, I promise, because that's the way it works. So, But we have to be looking toward that direction, Jonathan. We cannot, cannot, cannot look to Christianity to make us feel better. Because Christianity is not about me and you. It's about Jesus. And it's about walking in his steps only. Let's go back one last time to Costi Hin as he's talking about uh, his uncle and what he now sees as a real, real um, travesty against Christianity. Uh, faith, not in Christ to save your soul and to be justified by faith, but faith as a force is what we taught in order to unlock all the windows and riches of heaven. That's not what faith is. Confession is confessing your sins to Christ. Romans 10.9, to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that's not a confession to get a Bentley or a Ferrari or a house. You, don't, you can't use uh, faith for salvation as faith for stuff. It doesn't work that way. And so knowing now what I understand, having studied the Word of God on these topics, and of course the Holy Spirit graciously causing the scales to fall from my own eyes and saving my life, uh, I would never give money to that version of the gospel and it's because it's a false gospel. All right. I mean, it's a false gospel. And we have to be so careful. We have to be so careful that we don't get involved in a gospel that is not according to Scripture. And that's the key here. So, quote, faith healing, unquote, venues. And again, the healing of the Bible was not faith healing. We've proven that throughout this entire podcast. It was grace healing. Faith didn't have to be part of it. And, and, and again, I'm sorry, Jonathan, but before I go further, just I've talked to so many people who have looked for healing in their in their lives, and their response to me when I ask them about you know their experiences is, well, I just don't have enough faith, and I keep thinking, but Jesus wouldn't have asked you to have faith. The apostles didn't ask for faith; they just did it. What's wrong with this picture? How discouraging that must have been for each and every one. Right, right, because each of those people walks away feeling like they are the failure. No, you're not. It's the preacher who's misguiding you. They are the failure. These faith-healing venues draw on the human desire to be rid of pain, to receive something in return for showing up in faith. They build up hope and adrenaline only to deliver an empty package. Let's look at James 5, 13 to 15, because these verses are often used to say, see, we should be healing one another. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is any among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. 
And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Okay, so, you know, it talks about if you're sick, if you're sick, okay, you know, we're talking about healing. It says if you're sick, well, you go to the elders of the church and they're to pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Well, Jonathan, first point here is what? If healing were meant for believers, then simply lay hands on them. Yeah, why Why did you, did you see the praying over everything going on in all those other instances? No, you just saw that instantaneous miraculous healing. So already the context of this is operating differently. And if it's operating differently, what we have to ask ourselves is, is this the same thing? And the answer is no, it's not. See, the second point here is if we define suffering and sick, what this will show us is not physical illness, but in fact, spiritual illness. And there's a world of difference between those two things. So, so Jonathan, there, there's three phrases we want to touch on. Is anyone suffering? Is anyone sick? And the person who is sick. So the first one, is anyone suffering? What does suffering mean here, actually? Well, Rick, it means to undergo hardship. So my thought is, so trials to develop Christ-likeness. Right. That that's how we grow through difficulty. Right, right. That's perfect. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> difficulty stinks, but it's perfect. And we can look back and say, wow, I had growth in Christ because of that difficult experience. And when things are going along so well and so easily, the growth in Christ doesn't come nearly as, as strongly. It does not. The drama of growing through difficulty. And so, you know, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Okay, if you are really undergoing hardship, take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what James is saying, unequivocally. If, if you're being weighed down by the trials of life, you know, uh, last week we talked about betrayal, the difficulties of betrayal. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Seek fellowship, those who can help to, to bolster you spiritually because the hardship is too much. It has nothing to do with being sick. Now, look, you can have hardship as a result of having cancer. There's no question about that. Oh, Yes. But it doesn't mean that we're looking for the healing of the cancer. Well, let's look at the next phrase. Is anyone sick? What does that word for sick actually mean? To be feeble in any sense. So we, Rick, at times can feel spiritually weak. It happens to all of us at times. And, you know, we're not taking away from being feeble because of sickness. Because that's an important aspect of our lives. A lot of us end up com- you know, coming down with, 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 with terminal illnesses. And a terminal illness, you know what happens? You carry it till it's over. That's what a terminal illness is. And that creates a very significant place of trial and difficulty. And you and I both have known many, many individuals who have suffered through terminal illnesses. And so there are some of those Christians, Jonathan, that we both know who in that suffering are become these beacons of light and strength. Amen. And how is it they are able to do that? Because they are focused on godliness. They're not trying. They're, they're, the illness can come or go. What the, the point is become godly strong. And then in that verse, it also talks about the prayer of faith Offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And that's actually an entirely different word for sick. What does that mean? Properly to toil, that is by implication to tire, figuratively faint or sicken. So, Rick, spiritually, we can lose focus and drive and purpose. And 
it can happen to all of us at times. Yeah. And especially when things are going well, <laughs> we can lose it. So going through difficulties can help re-energize our spirituality. So if we would look at these verses in James chapter 5 and, and not limit them to physical illness, but put them in the context of spiritual illness, it makes so much more sense. Because it's saying that as a body together, we can help to hold one another up in the most dire and difficult times of our lives. And it, doesn't, it can come from physical illness, but it doesn't have to come from physical illness. It can be trials and tribulations that, and persecutions and all of those kinds of things. Folks, the point is this. Healing within the body of Christ should be focused on spirituality. Now, can God heal a disease? Sure he can. Is that God's prerogative to do whenever he wants? Sure it is. Is it written for us to believe in that and expect that here at this time? I do not believe so. We believe that those gifts were there, as we said so many times earlier in the podcast, to show us, to identify Jesus, identify his apostles, identify the close followers, and establish the church. And once the church was established, you see in the New Testament the natural fading away of those things because the gospel became the most important thing. Once again, the healing in the New Testament was to establish Christianity as of God and to give the world the hope of what was to come. And that's what Jesus was all about. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Everybody knows this. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a simple, simple statement. And Rick, all these healings that were done by Jesus and the apostles were to show God's power and what the future holds for the sin-sick world and its kingdom's blessings coming. It's, it's going to be miraculous in the kingdom. And, and, and I think, Jonathan, that's the important thing, is the kind of healing that Jesus and the apostles and some of the disciples were able to do was so impressive that it turned the public upside down. It got the Pharisees to hate Jesus even more. It got Peter thrown in prison. It made all kinds of trouble for the Apostle Paul. And, you know, so we can see that the public it was able to respond. If the public's not responding to our healing, then we're not doing the right kind of thing, okay? Because we're not doing it the way it was done in the Bible. Let's look at the picture and the fulfillment of the picture of that healing. Isaiah 35, verses 5 then six, and 6 and then 10. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the Arabia. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion. With everlasting joy upon their heads, they will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Isaiah 35 is a picture of the future. Jesus was a picture of the future. The healing that the apostles and disciples did at the beginning was a picture of the future. Isaiah is a fulfillment of that picture. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4, also fulfills it very dramatically and sensitively in terms of our physical, earthly ailments. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. 
and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And when you think about that, and the scripture says there will be no longer um, any, any, any pain, he wipes away every tear from their eyes, and there's no more death, and there's no more crying, and there's no more pain. And you look at Isaiah, and Jonathan, there are many, many other verses that show that the reason Jesus came and died was just not to bring a few followers to heaven. They were brought to heaven, will be brought to heaven, to be instruments to bring the rest of the world to reconciliation. And that is why Jesus healed. Because he was saying, I'm coming here to pay the price for Adam so every human being can have this healing. And I'm showing you what it looks like. I'm showing you a little glimpse. I'm giving you crumbs. But just wait. Just wait for the future. Because when the future comes and this healing is in place, it is going to be magnificent. So the healing Jesus did was simply a picture for the sake of showing the world that he was, in fact, the Messiah. We need to take that picture and we need to see it for what it really truly is and put it in its right place. The apostles and disciples, same thing. They did the healing as a picture for the world. Folks, think about it in the context of Scripture. It makes so much more sense. We've got the gospel now. We don't need the healing now because we know the picture. We've seen it. Now let's be faithful unto death so this kingdom can come and God's will can be done. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. Very, very difficult, very important subject, talking about something that there's a lot of perspectives on, but again, trying to lay it out according to Scripture. Faith healing is actually grace healing, a thing of the past. Think about it. Folks, listen, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. And coming up next week, what does true friendship look like? What does true friendship look like? Talk to you next week.